You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Good morning. It's Monday, September 20th. You're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. I'm joined right now by Chris Hummer, college football writer for 24-7 Sports one of our OG podcast guests. But Chris, this is the first time to have you on doing a winners-losers discussion following week three. It's a great week. We're a quarter of the way through the season, which makes me sad, but uh, I enjoyed it. I'm thinking, you know, usually with this episode, we go a little past our 15 minutes. So I hope you're ready. Well-rested after a late night writing college football overtime. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm doing great. Much better than probably the refs around the country are this morning. So uh, I'm ready to get started and talk some winners and losers. Yeah, I do want to get into the refs. They're a loser for me. I want to start with my winner, though. Not that like we have nine winners each. I don't know if you stayed up to watch Fresno State UCLA, but Jake Hayner, the Fresno State's quarterback, led his team on two touchdown drives in the final four minutes and 30 seconds of the game. Fresno won 40 to 37. Hayner was so hurt. I think you know, core ribs or something that every time he threw, he was wincing. And when he was throwing, it was like half his body, like kind of just slinging it with his arm. It was incredible, Chris, a 10 play 75 yard drive. And then a six play 75 yard drive and sandwiched in between that was a DTR nine play 75 yard drive for UCLA. I think the best game I've watched this season had to do PAC 12 after dark, not a good week for the PAC 12 either because Arizona lost to Northern Arizona. Oregon's quarterback, Anthony Brown, he's hurt. There were other Pac-12 losses. Arizona State went on the road and lost to BYU. This is, uh, we're not going to do the playoff discussion, but it's just far as like a conference landscape thing. I, I think the Pac-12 was a loser, and I know you would say the ACC was also a loser. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny with Jake Hayner specifically. I can't help but think that Washington had Jake Hayner in his quarterback room, and it also had Jacob Sermon, who's playing pretty well for Central Michigan this year, and it can't get its quarterback situation figured out right now with Dylan Morris. Obviously, Washington won this week, but I, I always think that when I see Jake Hanner lining it up at Fresno State. And it's it's amazing how our perspective changes early in the season, right? So like two weeks ago, Fresno State pushes Oregon to the brink. We're extremely critical of Oregon. We think Oregon has offensive problems. We think Anthony Brown is going to be a concern all year for the Ducks. And then two weeks later, we have the context of Fresno State beating UCLA in the context of Ohio State losing to Oregon. And we know that Fresno State might be the best group of five team on the West Coast and probably potentially the country. And it's just amazing how our perspective with that changes um, early in the year. And I, I know like in the country might be a bit of an exaggeration, but when you consider what's happened to some of the top group of five teams outside of Cincinnati and Coastal Carolina so far, Fresno State has a bit of an argument, in my opinion. And it was a hell of a football game. I did stay up. I was watching it on my phone on YouTube TV, and Jake Hayner was incredible. And it is really unfortunate for the Pac-12 because Oregon's kind of the last team standing in terms of an undefeated record. And unless something crazy happens the rest of the way, and we see a lack of parity in that league, which certainly exists, Oregon's their best shot of making the playoffs. Yeah, I, I, I didn't even mention uh, Utah lost to San Diego State, which is a good Aztecs team. Cal beat Sacramento State by 12, so that's a win. Uh, USC uh, went on the road, beat Washington State. Jackson Dart had four touchdowns, 391 yards in relief of Keaton Slovis. I think 
Jackson Dart has done. Uh, this is just so identical to Keaton Slovis, JD, JT Daniels, 2019 season. Um, I, I think they kind of need to roll with Jackson Dart the rest of the way as well, uh, Jackson. depending on depending on the severity. And and Minnesota blanked Colorado 30 to zero in Buffalo, so not not a great weekend. Stanford did go on the road and, and beat Vanderbilt. So. Colorado, by the way, with like 69 total yards. Like it was, it wasn't just blanking. It was. Minnesota just dominated that game. Colorado looked awful. And I do agree on Jackson Dart. I think he, especially given that USC offensive line, which continues to be an issue, Jackson's a little bit more mobile. I think he gives USC a little bit more of a spark right now on that side of the ball with what he can do out of the pocket and on the move um, compared to Keaton. Uh, And Keaton's an excellent quarterback as well. It'll be really interesting to see what happens there. But uh, Jackson Dart, from the way he looked, the blonde flowing hair, the eye black, he looks like a USC quarterback and he played like one last night. All right, so that's just a, a bunch of losers. Who's a winner for you? Tell me a winner. Winner. That's a great question. I really liked Michigan State on Saturday. It was an early game. I know a lot of the country might not have been watching Michigan State, Miami, but Michigan State for the second time this year just really blew me away. Kenneth Walker continues to be one of the best stories in college football. The transfer from Wake Forest came over to Michigan State. He was one of a number of running backs Mel Tucker took this offseason. He cemented himself as the starter this spring and kind of in fall camp. And he's been unbelievable since I think he had 172 yards on Saturday. He's run for 493 overall this season in three games. He's averaging like nine yards a carry. He's a superstar. I have him fifth on my Heisman list right now. My unofficial nice. list. I write in college overtime, college football overtime. Give me, give me your Heisman five. Do you have it in front of you? Yeah. Bryce young. Number one, uh, they beat Florida. We'll might get to that game in a second. Matt yeah. Corral, Ole Miss. He had yes. an incredible game last night. Yes. He's going to throw so many touchdowns. He ran for four. I have, I think Desmond Ritter and Spencer Rattler at three and four. I think it might be reversed in that order. They kind of have to be there given the status of their teams and kind of the preseason hype they carried in, which why? does matter. Name re- no, no, no. <laughs> Come on. You might, you might say why, but name recognition matters to voters. And those I don't two, care. two, I, I, think I know I'm you're about done with, I'm about done with the Spencer Rattler stuff. I'll just tell you that. Well, Spencer wasn't that bad on Saturday. I would argue that his <laughs> offensive on. line, he wasn't. He made a Dude, couple holding, of bad throws. Look, let, let, let's okay. We, you know, that that is enough Michigan State talk. They're three and out. I love them. It's fun. It's fun when Michigan State's good. Like we never would refer to them as a Nebraska or Tennessee or Texas or Florida State, but that still is a good college football program. Um, so it's fun when they're good. And I said this last week. Something about a Michigan State running back. I, I love it. All right, Oklahoma, Nebraska, though, and I don't even think we're going to talk about this. What's your concern level on a one to ten? Did Lincoln Riley lose his touch? Are the Sooners not as explosive as we thought? Is Spencer Rattler? I've had concerns. Are we just holding him to too high of a standard? I don't know what you know what's going to happen with the polls. And 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 I did tweet this. Kudos to OU. Usually they would lose that game in September. So at least they've, they've made it through before conference play begins. They host West Virginia on Saturday. Chris, this isn't the Oklahoma team that you thought you would see. I would be curious to your level of concern right now. I mean, there's certainly a little bit of concern. But when you think about the way the top of the Big 12 has done so far, you have Iowa State losing to Iowa. You have Texas getting smashed by Arkansas. Like, I think Oklahoma will be fine in the Big 12. And when you talk about Spencer Rattler specifically, I think you need to look at it with some context and some kind of layering of thought before just being overly critical of him. Is Mm. he what we thought he would be as the number one overall quarterback in the country coming out of high school? Probably not. Like, Spencer Rattler has not. No, 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 but Spencer Rattler. Quarterback one buzz in the NFL draft. Yeah, I know. But like, he entered the season largely on the hype of being that quarterback coming out of high school and playing for Oklahoma. But he has not played up to the standard of Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield before him. He probably has not played up to the standard of Jalen Hurts. I don't think there's a question about that. He is too loose with his decision-making sometimes. And we saw that nearly cost Oklahoma 
a couple of times on Saturdays when he just kind of lets a ball go that he shouldn't have thrown, but he did not throw an interception on Saturday. I think other concerns for Oklahoma are the offensive line, which is not as good as it has been in years past. Bill Beatonball is usually the best offensive line coach in the country, or at least one of them. That group is not playing up to its standard. They cannot run the ball outside of spread looks right now, which is a major problem for them moving forward. Eric Gray and Kennedy Brooks' numbers look okay from Saturday, but they were not as effective as you would like them to be. That's an issue, and it affects the entire offense. The other thing is the receivers that should be among the best in the country. You got Jaden Heiselwood, Marvin Mims, and a number of other highly ranked recruits are not creating the separation you would like from that group, which means Spencer Rattler has to hold the ball on for longer. That means Spencer Rattler has to play out of structure more. That means Spencer Rattler is prone to making bad decisions, and all of those kind of coalesce. You know, Oklahoma's offense not working as well as you would expect it to, at least earlier this year. I have no idea if that's going to continue. I would like to bet on that talent, bet on Lincoln Riley, and bet on Spencer Rattler, who I still believe is a first or second round talent. Do I think he should go number one overall in the draft right now? No, but I don't think the issues are all Spencer Rattler. And I do think Oklahoma will figure it out by season's end because they always seem to. Well, I mean, the fact that we're going like second round now for Spencer Rattler, I think says enough, but that, I, I appreciate your summary there. Yeah, so I mean, Oklahoma's you know, not a winner nor a loser. This is you know big picture. Scott Frost feel better about that situation. Like, Can you imagine what the conversation about Scott Frost would be like today if they had just beat Illinois to open the I know, season? It'd be like we're fine. It'd be, yeah, Scott Frost would be good. It'd be like right. let's Nebraska might even give them an extension after losing that close, given the way fine. that extension worked to happen. You just go. Let's 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 get to the refs. Let's get to the refs. Um, as a loser, I'm going to start because I had I had Boise State. And I'm kind of I'm so furious about this. And then I want you to break. You don't need to break it down, but we can just mention the Penn State, which is a game we should probably talk about. College football officiating is in a crisis. I understand what you wrote in overtime. It's hard. These guys aren't full time. They all report to different people and different conferences. I don't know where the accountability is. And if we're going to do college football as a big time operation with you know, gambling partners and we're going to, you know, we can't have what keeps happening on Saturday Boise State had a touchdown taken off the board because the refs blew the play dead on a fumble recovery with four minutes left in a football game. They were losing by one. Boise State was walking into the end zone, called the play back. Look at the review. It was indeed a fumble recovery, Boise State football, but why not Boise State touchdown? That's one of many situations that happened Saturday. Every single year we do this, we probably do it in the NFL too. I'm pretty sure, Chris, this officiating crisis, nothing will ever change. But it's extremely disappointing that games are being decided by officiating. Yeah, absolutely. At one point on Saturday evening, Penn State was forced to punt on third down. That happens. Um, the Mississippi State-Memphis game had a pretty absurd oh. sequence. Mississippi State was about to down a punt within the 10-yard line. And the ref, you can see the ref. He's about to call the play dead. He's like waving his arms. And all of a sudden, a Memphis player comes into the screen kind of out of nowhere, picks up a live ball, which he has the right to do, but the ref was in the process of blowing it dead. Instead of the ref blowing it dead because the ball had been on the ground for about five seconds, he puts his arms down. down. Yeah. And lets the play continue. And Memphis's player takes it all the way back for a touchdown. Mississippi State ends up losing by two points. This happens within the last four minutes of the game. And Mississippi State is now two and one and Memphis is three and oh. After the game, the SEC, again, SEC officials, released a statement saying the call should have been reversed. And actually, Memphis should have incurred a penalty on the play because they had two number four jerseys on the field at the same time. So Mississippi State essentially lost a game 
And the ref said, I'm sorry on Twitter, but the result was not shifted at all. And that that is the kind of weekend the refs had all around. There were some really bad play- things that happened in the Penn State game. I haven't even mentioned a intentional yeah. grounding that probably wasn't. Um, yeah. There was a fourth down call where Penn State was spotted a yard short of a clear conversion. There was a bad targeting play. And we had moments like this, pockets of this across the country. Pat Narduzzi, after the game yesterday, which Pittsburgh lost to Western Michigan, said some of the MAC officials were making calls he had never heard before or never seen before. And I mean, he's a losing coach, so you have to take that with some context. But it was it was a really bad day for officiating. And it's sad because like, I think the last thing any of us want is officials deciding the result of games. And that's what happened on Saturday. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Staying in Happy Valley. Can you believe Sean Clifford went 28 for 32? Two touchdowns. An interception when he was just trying to force them at the end of the half. Penn State didn't run the ball the way, the way that we're used to. Johan Dotson, touchdown. He's awesome. He's awesome. Yeah, he's awesome. You know, Bo Nix, I watched when I watched the game, I didn't think he was that bad. But I'm looking at the stats now. 21 for, for 37, 185 yards, five yards per attempt, no touchdowns, no interceptions. ESPN gave him a QBR of, of 70, which is pretty good. I, I don't I don't even know if I feel comfortable saying the whiteout got to them. Um, the Penn State won 28-20. I think they were lucky to cover based on what we watched on Saturday night. I'm, and I don't say that negatively to Penn State. Auburn Auburn impressed me. Um, so they're not really you know some sort of big picture loser here. Penn State, by virtue of just winning the game, surviving. They now have the two best wins in college football at Wisconsin, home versus Auburn. They look legit. I don't know if Sean Clifford's going to do this every game, but if he does, that defense gives them a chance to win the Big Ten. Yeah, real quick on Bonex. As Brandon Marcelo chronicled earlier this week on 247sports.com, he's been a turnover machine in road games in his career, especially against ranked teams. I think Bo played pretty well in the context of he did not shoot himself in the foot with turnovers. Agreed. And in that in that regard, I think Brian Harson has made a big difference for Bonex. And I, I'm more of a believer in Auburn moving forward than I was entering the year. But I definitely could say the same thing about Penn State. This team is really, really good. I think part of the problem for Auburn was Penn State's defense is among the best in the country. That secondary is so good across the board, and it was giving Auburn fits all night. I don't think Penn State's run game is maybe as good as you might expect in years past, but it's good enough. And if Sean Clifford plays like this all year, I think Penn State has an excellent chance, given some of the issues we've seen with Ohio State, of emerging from the Big Ten East. And if that's the case, like Penn State's ceiling is pretty limitless when you talk about the college football context as a whole. So I, I really like this Penn State team. I think that four and five season from last year feels like eons ago at this point. I don't think a lot of us probably took much stock into that anyway. I think... Penn State was the easiest kind of COVID season team to just dismiss the results out of hand. James Franklin's pedigree, his track record, what Penn State had returning, all pointed to Penn State being much better very quickly. And we're seeing that. That Penn State defense is really, really good. And I know it has nothing to do with the game, but whiteout, it's it's freaking awesome, man. That was so cool through the TV. I'm jealous Josh Pate was there. I'm sure he's going to have some great video of that for late kick today. So it'll it'll be awesome. Yesterday, even. Yeah, yeah yesterday. No, uh, we got to get to a whiteout game. All right. I have a, I'm looking for injury updates on Anthony Brown, the Oregon quarterback. It's hard because the Cowboys apparently have someone named Anthony Brown. Ma- Mario Cristobal said last night. He looks he good. Did, so he's he, expecting he's, to be healthy. Yeah. Yeah. But so that's when, when Mario Cristobal is pressed about whether he'll be ready next week, he kind of demurred on that. So that's a situation to watch early this week. Okay. So here's what we're going to do. We got to talk Florida, Alabama. And then I want to quickly mention Ohio State. And then I, I have something to say about the about Clemson and and all that. So Alabama, Florida, awesome game. Bryce Young handled it well. Started off hot. They slowed down. 
vice versa for Florida. Looked like they were going to get blown out. It was a two-point conversion away from tying the game. Had some chances defensively that Brenton Cox, who played well, near interception. You just can't keep giving Alabama so many chances. If it's third and long and Alabama is getting a flag or converting, you just have one chance if you're getting Alabama into a pressure situation. it's I don't even know how Florida... If you told me Anthony Richardson's not playing and Bryce Young's going to throw, I think, three touchdowns in the first quarter, I think is what happened. I'd say that that thing's that thing's ugly. But props to Florida. I think they're I think they're close, if not there. Yeah, I think you really came away impressed with Florida. I think we a lot of us, including myself, thought this would be more of a rebuilding year for Florida. And I probably should have known better. Dan Mullen's one of the best coaches in the country. Um, he always has his team ready to go. He schemes up some incredible kind of plays, no matter who he's going up against. And we saw that if Brennan Cox had pulled off that interception of Bryce Young and had not received a penalty the next play, I think Florida might have won this game, and we'd be talking about it totally different. Brennan Cox is excellent for Florida; like he had a really good game outside of those that little sequence. But that dropped interception and that penalty that followed it or immediately flipped this game on its head and allowed Alabama to escape with the win. And you have to be impressed by Bryce Young. I'm a little concerned about the offensive line and the run game on both sides for Alabama. Um, they struggled to defend Florida on the ground, and that offensive line did not create the push, especially inside that you come, have come to expect from Alabama in recent years. But Alabama is still Alabama, and to win this game, I think in Bryce Young's first career road start was really impressive. Yeah, I mean, maybe look, Alabama is great; they're the best team in the nation. But I, I think it, it does in a situation like that. Someone texted me Sunday morning and says, "This is a big takeaway that Bama is vulnerable." So take that for what you will. They still went on the road and beat it for my money, a top ten team. But they only scored ten points in the second half. Brian Robinson ran hard. You mentioned it. I don't know where this team would be without Jamison Williams, which is insane. The, the Ohio State transfer—that's crazy to even think about. But yeah, I mean, when, yeah, no, when, I, I, when you see I, I, when you see what? Nick Saban add a receiver to his room that late in the year, given all the talent they recruit, like he Alabama, knows. he knows, like he he knew, and they needed that speed. And Jamison Williams has made a big difference. Well, let me let me use that to pull on the Clemson thread, and then you'll do Ohio State. Not that we need much on on either because they they both won. Clemson should have. There's no reason for Clemson to to play a 14 to eight game versus Georgia Tech and. Through three games, Clemson has some serious issues. DJ Uyangalale, you wrote in College Football Overtime, and you were right, is a shell of himself. It's hard to imagine this team running the table. I don't know who they lose to, but you know, at NC State this weekend might be a place to start. The defense still hasn't allowed a touchdown. That's great, but the they can't run the ball, Chris. Four yards of carry. All the receivers are the same guy. DJ's mechanics, confidence, it's all bad. The offensive line is just as bad as last year, and Look, like I know Dabo Sweeney doesn't want to add players to the transfer portal to not mess up his culture, but do you think Nick Saban's not worried about the same thing? And yet you mentioned he goes out and gets Jamison Williams. Clemson absolutely could have fortified their offensive line in the transfer portal. You and I covered the transfer portal. There were plenty of guys there. One went to Notre Dame, one went to TCU, Baylor, Kansas. There were dudes and they didn't, they didn't even try. And that's okay. Like if Clemson, if this is a, a nine and three, 10 and two a year, then maybe that actually sparks some need, needed change that that the Tigers are going to have to facilitate or, or adapt to, to to keep up with Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia. Georgia's added Eric Gilbert, Darion Kendrick, Tyke Smith this offseason. Ohio State added a, a top 20 transfer, Pele Gayoteote. And it's just Tony Elliott, people want him to be fired. The fans, I should say, on the message boards. It's something's off, man. And it's it, unless they unless they do something something major in the offseason to change it. It's worth wondering like if if Dabo Sweeney has has his pulse on on you know when you factor the transfer portal and, and all that stuff and, and the offense looks archaic. 
if he's going to be able to to fix this because the expectation is not to win the ACC, it's to win national titles. And they, they did it three years ago. So it's not like this is like the end of the dynasty or whatever, but they don't look like the same program. I think Nick Saban is the greatest coach of all time, not only because he recruits the best, not only because he's one of the best schemers in the country, not only because he hires the best coaches, but it's because he's shown to be adaptable throughout his career. And I think, as you said, we're reaching kind of an influx point with Dabo Sweeney and the transfer portal and kind of the way college football is moving. If he wants to keep up, and I know he does, and I'm confident that eventually he will change his ways because that's what the best coaches do. He has to start taking into account things like the transfer portal. He has to maybe be more aggressive with offers in high school. Like Clemson can't wait two years to offer a quarterback just because it's what Clemson does. So it'll be really fascinating to see. In the short term, like... The ACC schedule is very friendly for Clemson. I'm looking at it right now. It is incredibly friendly. NC State, Pittsburgh, and Wake Forest are their toughest remaining games, probably. Yeah, but and they, they just, you know, they could have lost no, to Georgia Tech two days. Yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not arguing that. I think that, but I just think that defense that Clemson has is good enough to win at 10 games this year, no matter what, yeah. in the regular season. And like, I, they might not make the, uh, they might not run the table the rest of the way, but there is a possibility that they do given the schedule. So I, I think people need to keep that in context. I really don't expect DJ to play this bad the rest of the year. Something's <laughs> off, but we'll see. But either way, like, I totally agree with your big picture takeaway on Clemson. They need some work. It'll be, but it'll be interesting in the short term to see how Tony Elliott adjusts with that offense and if that offensive line can get any better. Yeah, it's probably time to think about turning over that staff and getting some fresh blood, fresh ideas in there. We're going long. Ohio State takeaway. They nearly won by about 20 versus Tulsa, but it, it wasn't pretty. Travion Henderson saved the day. They were gashed through the air a week after being gashed on the ground. Mm-hmm. Your panic level for the Buckeyes. I'm not panicking because Ohio State's still the most talented team in the Big Ten by a pretty significant margin, but that defense is certainly an issue. It's the second straight week they've given up 500 yards. And to give up 500 yards to Tulsa, a team that hasn't been that good offensively, struggled against Oklahoma State last week, is a big problem. They gave up 428 yards passing to Davis Bren, and no offense to Davis Bren. And what is a veer-and-shoot offense for Tulsa and has been pretty effective in years past is a problem for that Ohio State defense. That secondary is a concern. Stopping the run for them is a concern. And Kerry Coombs moving up into the booth to call plays didn't really seem to make that big of a difference. And if the Ohio State offense has an off day like it did on Saturday, CJ Stroud only had 185 yards passing and Travion Henderson was needed to save the day. This team is very vulnerable when you're talking about Penn State and Michigan and Michigan State on, quite frankly, all looking really good early this season. The Big yeah. Ten East is a slog. I didn't even include Indiana and Maryland, which have both or looked Rutgers, excellent. Which is three and zero. Yeah, the Big Ten East is really, really good this year, it's and it's fun. yeah, it's going to be awesome. And it's given what we've seen by Ohio State so far, like it's very easy to envision them dropping a game along the way, which takes them. And I don't want to make this a playoff conversation out of playoff, yeah. out of the playoff no. mix with two losses. So yeah, Ohio State does have reason to be concerned. Chris Olave had no catches. I know one was called back and he dropped another, but that that can never happen. Um, that can never happen. All right, Chris Hummer at Chris underscore Hummer on Twitter. Go follow him. Our producer is Lance Glenn. My name is Trey Scott. Appreciate you all listening. Long episode, a lot of fun. I feel like we probably did more losers than winners, but we're all winners for getting to watch college football for 17 hours every single Saturday. My name is Trey Scott. Have a great Monday. We'll talk to you on Tuesday for the next edition of the College Football Daily. Streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. 
It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus.